Imagine having all, guess all, of your learning challenges solved. With the Tables Learning Suite, an AI-powered LMS built for enterprise, you can tackle any challenge. You can easily create and manage content, deliver training, and measure the business impact of your programs. The Chabo is built for customers, partners, and employees alike, with dozens of integrations to embed directly in the flow of work. Check out Dechebo today at docebo.com. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Adam Evermescu. And I'm Dave Darrington. And guess what? Guess what? What? Can you believe it? It's episode 100. Oh my God. Somehow, improbably, we have made it to 100 episodes of this little podcast. Episode in, okay. We were just talking about this and pre, pre-gaming the show. What episode was it? That's the milestone audience. We need to do a prize for this. Maybe we should do a prize. I don't know what we do as a prize. What was the number of episode that you have to reach to actually be a consistently produced episode? And who, who, who gave us that number? Wait, what do, you, what do you mean? Oh, so you're, you're talking with somebody came on our show pretty early mm-hmm. on and told us mm-hmm. that to get this number. If, you, if you got to this number of episodes, then you were likely to endure as a podcast and, and keep going because most podcasts peter out at this uh, yeah. average number. Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to guess? Because I know guess. the answer. Okay, I'm going to guess correctly because I remember the answer to this, Dave. Just tell the audience uh, what it is. Okay, that was that was Bill Cashard who came on our Yay. episode 12. And we made a really big deal about this at the time because I couldn't remember whether it was 11 or 13, but I, I do believe it was 12. Um, and we proved that. Came on. Yeah, he came on and he said, if you make it to episode 12, then you're likely to have a long enduring podcast. And that's why we saved him for, for episode 12 at the time. He was one of our first guests yeah. on the show. Yeah. Cause Maybe we had been first. bantering before that. We had just really kind of done a series or a string of episodes. We were just talking about what we were wondering about. Yeah. Well, bantering was a, I think a strong term for what we did. I actually went back and listened to some of those first episodes and it's really interesting. The format's completely different. Uh, we're very scripted compared to how we are now. We didn't have our, our groove yet. Uh, we had a weird mailbag section at the end. Everything was very structured into, uh, having a hypothesis and a call to action. So I think we've, we played with format a lot more since then. Well, okay. Let's wax nostalgic then. So, Here we are. Wax on, wax off. Recording. We're recording. <laughs> we're recording this episode. You know, going back to the actual dates, we recorded this show August 2018. Four and a half years since this time, right? And yeah, we say actually on the first episode what the date is. I was I was listening to it. Yeah, it, we used to do that, and I think we stopped at some point. But once God, we realized that they changed. weren't going to air anywhere near when we recorded them. Yeah, we gave ourselves that space. <laughs> but how much is <laughs> like what all has changed, Adam? This is everything. Everything about God, our lives, even our where we're living, changed fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. The world changed literally. Good lord. Yeah, I mean, well, look, we went through a global pandemic. We went through a, a, an economic um, downturn. Yeah, yeah. What else do we get hit uh, with? Personally, personally, I moved to Amsterdam. I guess that's. Is there a third world one? Third world one? What? Black Lives Matter. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that happened in the world. Oh my gosh! And in living in Seattle, you know, there was Chad or Chop, which uh, there's all kinds of crazy. But many things have changed for us too, in far as not just where we're living or what we did, but the podcast itself. And I think yeah, you talked about it just a little bit ago. We we had a weird, weird mailbag session. We didn't get our vibe together yet. Um, we had like we had fake fake mailbag people. It was like Julie from Temecula. <laughs> hey, she's real. So hey, shout out to Julie from Temecula. You got us where we are today. Yeah, no, show's different, right? We we started having guests on the show, starting I think with Bill. I think he was our first one. <clears throat> we uh, 
introduced sponsors. We started having guests on the show. Yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot that we did. But if you've been listening faithfully to the past several episodes, you'll also see that for both of us, like Dave, both you and I, we've had our evolution across multiple customer education leadership roles. Yeah. That's been... And I think... I didn't, we didn't really script this in, but one of the things that this evokes is a sense of what we don't, we don't script the show. No, we don't very lightly. Uh, I remember talking uh, to several of our peers who all, all said, and I think it was uh, our friend, Melissa Van Pelt that said, you know, I don't want people. It wasn't just her, but she said it in a conversation I had. I don't want people to to have to go through some of the things that we did too. And yeah, where we are, where we're at today, it's like, all right, gosh, look at all the places we went. We we're going to talk about this today, right? Where we've been, where we're going. Maybe not so much where we're going. Where we've been, what we've made mistakes in, what um, what were our favorite episodes? Um, we've got a lot to talk about in this show, and. I don't know. I'll let you go with the next section here because this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited just we're going to get in here. It. Yeah. No, I'm going to do today. I'm going to do the frame up. So, uh, <gasps> yeah, I think we today we are looking back at our, our previous roles in customer education that we had over the course of meeting each other and doing this show. And we're not doing that to be self-indulgent. We're actually doing that for a very specific purpose. We're doing that to share some of the key mistakes that we made in each of these roles and what we learned from them. Because I think like sometimes it's really easy to talk about these journeys in a positive light and all the accomplishments we had or, or, you know, everything that we're thankful for, because it's true. I'm, I'm personally grateful for all of the opportunities that I've had along the way from, from then to now it's been a hell of a 4.5 years. Yeah. But yeah, you're right on this show. We try to focus on, real world lessons for customer education leaders, uh, whether it's people who are currently out there doing the work and, and need to build a community. That's, that's our idea of finding the others or whether it's people who want to become customer education leaders. One day, a lot of you listen to our show. Uh, it's, it's hard to know what the, what the reality of that looks like. So I think if we look back on our journeys and highlight some of the mistakes that we made along the way and what we learned from them, it's it's going to be helpful for all of our listeners to know, hey, you're not alone. Yeah. And you're not. I, I really hope that if you have a friend that's in this space, you have a peer that's struggling, the one of the most interesting things that I've learned in talking to a whole lot of people, particularly now at Service Rocket, where I talk to many, many people, is that we're all experiencing the same thing. You know, we're now we're working virtually more than ever. You can't go to the conferences like you used to. That's coming back. Um, okay, let's not get off track. Yeah. You want to talk about no? The bonus? Let's the major bonus. There is. There's yeah. There's there's a little bonus here. Um, so one. we this, this is big. This is fun. It's a big. But you're right. It's it's a big big bonus. We asked some of our friends of the show, aka also our friends, uh, and and many of <laughs> whom have appeared on past episodes of this show, which is really cool, to uh, call in, so to speak, and share their own hard-won lessons. So we asked them, this was the prompt, we said, please give advice to your past self on becoming a customer education leader. So we're going to air those throughout the episode. And uh, we'll do live reactions because we have not listened to these yet. Yeah, this is the best. Cool. We want to share that with you as well. Like not our only, not only our personal journey, which we'll we'll dive into in a second, but also uh, some of our friends. So why don't we actually kick off with one of those clips? All right. What are we what are we going to kick off with, Adam? Who is it, and where right. it came from? Let's start with uh, Christy Hollingshead, who Yay. leads customer education and engagement. She's going to say it in the clip uh, at Heap. And she was on our episode 70 uh, about data doesn't lie. And you and I had a oh, was fun debate about whether the title of that should be data don't lie. Data don't lie. All right, play. All right. Let's roll the clip. Hi, y'all. My name is Christy Hollingsett, and I'm the vice president of customer engagement and education at Heap. 
And the advice that I would give to my past self about becoming a customer education leader is pretty simple, honestly. It is to focus on the outcome of the work that myself and my team um, are providing. What impact are we having to the business? Early on in my career, the focus really was on output. How much content could we put out in a week, a month, a year? Uh, And it was a never-ending cycle of just tackling items on the backlog. Um, And while everyone was really happy and, and really supportive of the work that we were doing, I wasn't really getting invited or recognized for any of that work um, beyond my initial team. And once I really slowed down to start thinking about, okay, how can I showcase the impact of the work that my team is doing and really focus on driving key behaviors, uh, I, I really feel like that was the turning point in my career where doors started to open, um, seats at tables started to be offered, because now I could talk with leaders about how education was going to improve their adoption, improve their uh, user and account retention, drive more expansion dollars, reduce support tickets. And once we started talking in this way with people, uh, truly, like, they cared a lot more about the work that my team was doing. And what it also allowed us to do is not just tackle uh, an endless list of requests, but it really gave us permission to focus on quality over quantity in our work too. I think too often what I see a lot of teams doing is just that focus on output and constant releases and they don't really ever spend time asking themselves, hey, which content is working? Not what content is getting the most registrations, not what content is getting the highest satisfaction scores, but what content is working in the sense that it is correlating to these business metrics, that it's driving the desired behaviors. Um, and when we started doing that analysis, what we found is that 80% of our course catalog really wasn't doing anything um, for the business. Uh, and ultimately, that means you're not really supporting your customers or your learners either, right? If they aren't able to take the information that you're sharing with them and apply it in a valuable way, then they're not getting value out of the product, which is really our job. So focus on the outcome, find ways to make yourself uh, part of those larger business discussions. Uh, And I think that can be a great opportunity to grow your career uh, in customer education and become a leader uh, as well. Wow. Thank you, Christy, for sharing your, your perspective there. That was great. <laughs> that was I, great. That's, that's going to be hard to beat. Although I know that our, our other customer education leaders on the call on the, uh, yeah. yeah, on the, on the clips will also offer really great stuff. You know, I think we were, we were talking about how we're going to conduct this and let's, let's go ahead and do this live. Let's not respond too much to these. I mean, you want to do one quick takeaway each. I mean, just one quick takeaway between us. Then we move on. Yeah, go for it. Um, I really appreciate this perspective that Christy gives out. One of the things that, that really stands out is, I think of the top of the three things she said, learning the language of the business so that you can uh, you know, eventually acquire a seat at the table by your, by your deeds, not your words. Right, those are my language. But learning how to talk with leaderships and spread show the outcome of what you're doing. That's really hard. It's one of the the key skills to master and we're all constantly working on it. All right. So now enough about Christy. Let's talk about us. (laughs) Usually it's the other way, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) But yeah, we want to share our own lessons and we're going to be a little bit harder on ourselves, uh, not just asking ourselves for lessons, but we're, we're going to, really try as much as possible to talk about our mistakes and what we learn from them. So to cue this up, Dave, you and I met while we were in our respective roles at Optimizely and Gainsight. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to describe your career briefly. And and since then, and and you can tell me uh, what you would add. So, okay. I met you while you were at Gainsight and at Gainsight, you were really, 
going deep into both the world of customer education and customer success, right? Because that's what Gainsight does, customer success. Yeah. Uh, you had all of these innovative ideas about how to tie systems together and how to use product telemetry to be able to make data-driven decisions about customer education. And uh, then you moved to Azuqua, and that's when we started recording together. And Azuqua was in the iPass world, and so uh, that also helped add to your your story here because uh, iPass is all about being able to connect different systems to each other, to automate, or to connect data. And then mm-hmm. you got a job leading education at Outreach. I believe after Azuqua got acquired, is that right? Yeah, uh, yeah. led right into okay. it. Yeah, so then then you went to outreach, and and that was a uh, uh, famously cataloged in our episode uh, starting over, which is episode seventeen, where we did the Bennett Foddy clip, and you led the education team there before more recently making the move to Service Rocket, mm-hmm. which uh, we again talked about in the very memorable episode starting over all over again, where we were taking the walk around the Seattle locks. And Dave, this is funny because I went back and I listened to some of the very early episodes. And even in episode three, which is the LMS conversation, yeah, you are talking about Service Rocket quite a bit already at that point because mm-hmm. you already knew them. You know, you were already kind of in their their world. But I thought it was so funny to listen to past Dave talking about a company where years later he would then be working. I bet, I bet we need to take that out and send it to, to Rob Castaneda at, at Service Rocket. So we talk a lot about that where it, we we don't have alum as much as we also have prelum. <laughs> People that were our customers who enjoyed working with the way we transact with people, which is the Bill, Bill Cashard helping sales mentality. And it still pervades the culture. It's really It's really an excellent place to work. But yeah, that's fun. Shall I take a stab at your career in my interpretation of it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So um, I I can't remember the exact moment prior to meeting you in person when we were at uh, the SEDMA event. Yeah, um, we met at the SEDMA conference. We met at, met at SEDMA. That's the what, Computer Education Manager, Management Association. Um, now they say customer uh, education, but yeah. Yeah. It was not that long ago that they changed, but... At that point, I I started to become aware of what you were doing at Optimizely, and I looked at at the case studies and the things that you were producing. Like, wow, that is really cool. And at that same time, you know, here I was at Gainsight, and I was seeking, well, I guess a lot of ways, someone or some ones. I was looking to find the others, right? Um, We all were at the time. We were. And you had been doing these great things at Optimizely, which I would come to see and we would come to talk about together in conferences at, you know, in, in, in our podcast and discussions with other people. But what really blew my mind, Adam, about that career path is that kind of like me, but in a different context, here you were constellating a schema, uh, uh, the artifactoria. I love, I love that word. All the things that go into building a not like what is the, what do you call it optiverse right yeah. the federation meaning i can look one place and see everywhere else i can go to my community i can get in my knowledge base i can go to the university or the academy where all of my content is and damn that was cool it was, it, it was just really cool to see hey, were you working with um with daniel at the time yeah, so Daniel Quick, who we're going to hear from later in this episode, we're going to talk about also him. worked with me. Yeah, which I mean, it's cool because now you're seeing these names of people that we are starting to to see in this constellation of you know folks that we interact with all the time. So that was cool. And then you got an opportunity to move to the next next place, Checker, which now this this was my um, my interpretation of the Checker. Little different for you, and now you're in a space which was more compliance based. But again, these are, this is my language and understanding of what it is. But it was a really important product and really important platform to start to give the tools to people do what background checks, screening, things like that in a fair way. Was that is, does that sum that mm-hmm. something up right? 
Yeah, it was, and, it was a background check software, but also with a, a big mission component in, but, in helping people become fairer about the way that they evaluate background checks. I had to think that attracted you to that that position because of that edge, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, but that's where you push the boundaries a bit. Now you get into the space, you're like, oh, well, now I'm talking with legal a lot. <laughs> you're like doing, you're, you're doing all this stuff. You have like a, a completely different world. It's still SaaS, but now it's intersecting with this world that you hadn't been in before. And man, I don't know how long we were there. I know then you got an opportunity and this was the one where you're, you can't say anything. I'm not even going to talk about it. And then you landed at Slack. And I was like, man, that's cool. I mean, what an opportunity to, to do Slack in the heyday where things were exploding. And yes, you absolutely needed customer education. And it's such a cool app. Still, I still use it all the time. Um, you know what? I mean, you had a great team there. We met other folks in that in that role who are now going out and onto their own and staking a claim in the world of customer ed or enablement or partner enablement, right? Um, and then now, Personio, and I mean, what what a big transition that I like how you have articulated your career in a fashion where you're going up the chain, you're learning you're, the intentionality behind it you have a lot to say about the leadership and the nuances behind that. And, and particularly now, as you're coming into the VP level, what does that world look like to all of us? How do you transact? Just like Christy had just said, right? It's, you're thinking about different things. Now we're thinking about outcomes. Now we're thinking about strategy. Now we're, wow, you know, what a cool story. I'm, I'm thankful to have had like a parallel to you too. I feel like we're a ladder. <laughs> just stepping yeah. up, sharing the experiences as we go. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, yeah, interesting to see, you know, we, we've documented this pretty extensively over the course of the past 100 episodes, making those moves, uh, sometimes having built up teams and then taking either kind of lateral steps or, or taking a yeah. step back to build something from scratch, because both you and I are builders. And then uh, now our paths are, are diverging a little bit with me having gone into uh, like a broader VP role still in house and you having gone to uh, the the vendor or consulting side, so to speak, I guess like yeah. service orgs isn't a vendor, but like the consulting side, mm -hmm. uh, building your own customer education services practice for other customer education uh, teams, which is really cool perspective. So I'm glad that we've, we've really stayed together on, on this whole journey. But been amazing. People aren't here to hear us wax, wax nostalgic. That was all the table setting. Uh, so we can start talking about some of those juicy, juicy mistakes. This episode is brought to you by WorkRamp. WorkRamp turns customer education into a growth engine for your business by delivering delightful learning experiences that increase product adoption and customer retention. Those are crucial, crucial metrics. WorkRamp's all-in-one learning platform is trusted by top education teams at Outreach, Reddit, Workiva, and more. So get your demo today at WorkRamp.com. That was the frame-up, yeah. Now, now we're going to be really vulnerable and transparent, right? And talk about the hard stuff, the things that didn't go right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with Optimizely. I'll go first. All right. And then we can go, then we can go to Gainsight. So there were a few moments that I remember very distinctly at Optimizely, some very discreet mistakes, but then I can talk a little bit more existentially as well about, uh, maybe the biggest mistake that I made at Optimizely or some things that I, you know, even today I look back and I go like, was that a mistake? Uh, so one that I remember really clearly, and I don't remember if I've talked about this on the show before, was an early lesson in trying to get SME buy-in for, for our program. So if I recall hmm. correctly, we were... Like we started this program by, by building out our, our help center or our knowledge base. Uh, and then we were building a prototype of an academy. And during that time, especially when we were working on the knowledge base, we were looking at the analytics and we were starting to get a really good idea of what needed to be fixed or what needed to be uh, scrapped entirely. <laughs> and we had a pretty big list of things that we needed to work on. And a lot of them were not things that uh, we, the, the two customer education managers at the time, uh, me and Wes, were were technical enough ourselves to really be able to address. And so we worked together 
and and we were talking with the leaders of uh, one of our peer teams, who I believe were the uh, the solutions architects or the technical architects, um, as well as the the support team, to say, hey, you know what, we need people's time and attention to actually be able to update this content, and uh, we we had thought that we got their buy-in. Um, we had a discussion with them where it was like, okay, well, someone will be able to rotate in and spend 50% of their time during the week uh, actually helping us with education stuff. And that felt like a huge victory. And I was like, okay, great. Now we've got the SME support we need. And then we uh, announce we announced this to the team uh, that is going to be helping us with uh, our SME work. And it lands like a wet fart. <laughs> because, of course, even though we'd had this discussion as managers, uh, we hadn't gotten true commitment for people to spend their time doing this. And and what we didn't realize, because mm. we hadn't gone deeply enough with our SMEs to understand what this would look and feel like, is there there wasn't really any such thing as 50% of their time. It just meant that someone was going to get an extra job on top of their normal yeah. job. Yeah. So that was a big moment for me in realizing that you, you can't you can't kind of just so to speak manage things through process or through high level agreements. You have to understand what the reality is like for your collaborators, and that customer education is not going to be the biggest part of their day. Wow, good stuff. Yeah, that's a hard, that's a hard lesson too. That's me one. That's that was, and that was an early one. Another early one that I remember is, so I had been a manager before Optimizely, but when I when I went to Optimizely, I joined as an individual contributor. Like I mentioned, there were two customer mm-hmm. education managers. We were both ICs, and um, I then got promoted to be the the team lead, and that was the first time that I was interviewing uh, at at Optimizely. I think maybe I was even in a manager role by this point. And I was interviewing someone for, I don't remember what role this was, but, you know, it was like a pretty experienced candidate. And he ended up dropping out of the process. And I was shocked because like, I like mm. this guy. I thought he was, he was really cool. Um, and so I, I, I talked to the recruiter and I was like, hey, what happened? And uh, the feedback that I got was, well, hey, you know, this candidate didn't really feel uh, very respected by the way that you were interviewing. Uh, because... You were asking the questions very robotically. You felt like you were reading off a script. Um, maybe you weren't like responding very well to the answers. And that's something that I've taken to heart ever since, not just in improving my in, uh, my interview technique, which now anyone who's ever interviewed with me will know that I'm pretty conversational during interviews. I don't think I'm yeah. perfect at it, but I, I, uh, like you can't say I don't have a different style. Uh, but also my my approach in general to hiring and realizing that, you know, if you're asking someone to come join your team, that it's not just this transactional thing where you ask questions and they answer it and you analyze it, but you're really, you're really attracting a talented person to be on your team and make a a multi-year commitment to being in this together. So I've, I've come to view team building as much more relationship oriented than, you know, purely checking off boxes on like, obviously the candidate has to be qualified, right? Like That's, yeah. that's, that's the table stakes, but interviewing and, and in general, just the, the whole talent acquisition process is so much more nuanced than I thought it was at the time. Interesting. It's yeah. interviewing is a talent and it's really hard, particularly when you're in a smaller, very high, very heavily fast moving startup where Gosh, to slow down sometimes, it's a lot. And to interview somebody, if you're like, oh my God, I have all these 10 things to do, now you need an interview. And then sometimes it does come off as robotic until you embrace that, God, I want to have this person on my team. I really need to give him that t- give them that time. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then the last one that I would bring up, and I feel the most vulnerable talking about this one because I don't think I've fully processed it myself. So this is this is a mm. question mark. But I've been thinking a lot lately about in my current position, if I hired the person that I was kind of towards the end of my time at Optimizely, like let's say if I hired 2017 Adam, what would I think of him today? 
And at that time, we'd really built up a lot of Optiverse. We had, you know, a thriving academy and help center and community, and we were starting to run certification programs. So there was a lot of program growth. And we could also show a lot of really interesting attribution numbers for our program. And I was super proud of those. And, and in fact, I would go to, uh, you know, senior leadership meetings and, and talk about these and give updates and uh, people oohed and odd. But I didn't feel like I was having a ton of success really getting traction to grow the program in the way that uh, I wanted to and that I knew could deliver value. Mm. Even getting a full-time community person was uh, a gigantic struggle. So, you know, we got kind of the license to uh, homebrew our own academy and do a big systems project, which was a really interesting project. But we we didn't, we weren't able to grow our headcount. And I look back and I, I wonder why mm. that was. And I think that even though at the time I was sort of speaking the language of the business, and I'm, I'm thinking here about Christie's uh, advice to us. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily pairing that as well with really showing people how an investment in our programs could solve the key business challenges, right? Like I was talking about attribution between educated customers and support tickets. I was talking about the attribution between educated customers and product adoption. And these were really interesting, meaningful correlations that helped sell the program as a whole. But I wasn't necessarily saying, hey, you know what, we can actually solve this other problem that's going on in the business. And to do that, here's what we need to do it. And that includes headcount. So I think I, I could have been hmm. more assertive at the time about really connecting not just what we were doing to what the business cared about, but what we could be doing to really growing the business in a future-facing manner. Yeah. And so then I felt like I was stagnating, and that's one of the reasons why I, I left and wanted to get a fresh start at, at Checker, right? I, I just didn't, I didn't feel like we were, we were growing or that there were a lot of new challenges. But in retrospect, I, I probably could have done more to help generate some of those new challenges for us. I like, I like your reflections upon that. I'm not going to comment too much because we've got a lot to read through, but maybe some of the things I'm going to say coming up or this is a good, this is a good validation exercise. And hopefully all of you are not breaking the fourth wall right now. You're doing the same thing that we are. So if I were to go into, let me respond with gain side. I want to kind of move it along a little bit. And, but I, cause and maybe I'll pick one or two things that are key for me out of that experience. But I want to say something really positive about gain site is that I've watched it evolve over the years. You know, I left in, 2018 yeah 2017 2018 around when we met before we met before yeah no when we met and um it, it was such an amazing experience because of what i was learning because here i was at ground zero of the atom bomb of customer success and it it was all just mushrooming up around me and i was learning seeing all like the it's almost the celebrity status before it was a celebrity thing impulse was a big thing with the small events yeah, I remember going to one of the early pulses in Oakland, and it was still yes, pretty modest-sized event. Yeah, but yeah, you were you were there for this huge moment of category creation for customer success. Yeah, and we've seen all those people, you know, go into other roles and their leaders in those respects. And okay, but putting putting that aside, that was important. So here is this thing called customer success, and it pulled me in, right? And I was just completely in the thrall of this category creation. It was exciting, fun, and there was, there was so much to learn, but let's talk about the mistakes I think I made at that time. And that, that younger me, here I was, I was coming out of a management consulting role, right? I, I was that traveling person that you'd send to, to solve the big problems at big corporations. You were, you were like up in the air, George Clooney. Really close, sadly. And, and it was a painful job to do, but I learned a lot in it. What I had brought into this role was, I mean, there was a little bit of arrogance there, to be honest, because I'm like, oh, I know these processes and these methods and all the, and at the same time, I'd been an, a, a university professor, an adjunct professor. And so I had all that clout, right? Years of teaching at a university level really help you. 
And now I come into this environment and I'm like, oh my God, okay, there's so much to do. The, there was like a couple or three things, really two points that I, I would say I, I struggled around. One of them was that, that very first early sense of certification, right? You talked about this a little bit, but I got really into that. And this was before I met you or Debbie or anybody. And I was trying to pilot it out and say, what's the certification thing? And I was getting pulled along by leadership. So we've got to certify people. We've got to do all these things. And I got sucked into that rabbit hole. It was a really good thing to learn early on in retrospect. And this was my weaker of the two lessons learned or mistakes. I went, I doubled down. I went all in and I, I came up with a, like a homebrew solution and we piloted it out. And I should have at that point said before I left the company, because I left the company at the end of a, the commencement of a pilot and some data, but I wasn't communicating as well that this program was kind of a failure. <laughs> it, it worked well enough to prove, yes, you could certify somebody. But at that point, and if I were to talk to my earlier self, I would have said, you're going to waste a lot of time and resources on trying to build a certification program. It will look great. It will look great on paper. It will help some people, but the cohort of people you're going to train are going to be very small and it's not, it's worth doing it in a different context, which is, I would have said, do a badge, do a credential, do a, whatever. But that was one of the lessons learned that I've had frustration. It was hard. I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, um, those are big ones, Dave. Yeah. There's one more. This is the, this is the really big one that I learned is, and this was more personal. And this is something that I, I actually had a conversation with just with somebody recently about it's that for me, I was looking for uh, the promotional pathway too. Where and why is because I truly did feel after a couple or three years, I was right at that three year threshold where like you were talking about, I was really proud of this community we've built and I was really proud of the university and the academy put together. And you know, at my story at Gainsight was I'd actually leveraged Gainsight's internal dashboards to be able to, I'm gonna say it, munge, um, I think that yeah, we've gotten all of your catchphrases in. Yes. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. If anybody's keeping For track, anyone following have... along on our, our CSC Lab uh, branded oh, bingo card. But, but what, now that I'm opening it up, I feel, I feel better sharing about this. The, this frustration of, gosh, I've done so many things and I don't feel like I'm getting seen or heard. And that's so, it, it, it kind of clouded my judgment at the point and encouraged me to want to leave. Because I didn't feel like leadership in this, to talk to speak to not adapting with the business or what Christy said, not speaking the language of the business. I was doing all the right things, but now I'm hitting a wall and that wall is the wall of, well, I need to talk to Nick and leadership team and expose what's going on here and, and, and be able to connect it more. And the connection was not happening. Was that on me? Maybe, um, maybe not, not completely, mm. but that, that growing frustration and that, I deserve this and I should be this. When I, I, I wish I maybe, I maybe would have made the same mistake or made the same decision. I'm not going to call that a mistake to leave because I intentionally left to go to different places to learn this craft and to evolve. But at the same time, I'm like, well, what could it have been like if I had stuck around or I'd done something a little different or I knew something a little bit more about it, uh, leaning, leading upwards, you know? Yeah. Some, some big consistent there. themes here in our stories so far. But before we move on to the next stage in, in our careers, let's hear from a couple of our customer education leader friends. So next, we will hear, we talked about him a moment ago because he was on the team at Optimizely, but let's hear from now noted customer education book author and uh, C-suite education leader, Daniel Quick. Hi. I'm Daniel Quick. I'm co-author of the Customer Education Playbook. And here's the advice I'd give my past self about becoming a customer education leader. First, I'd tell myself to focus on what matters to the business. When I first got started, I found myself drawn to ideas that felt fun or cool or personally rewarding. 
Uh, for example, in my first customer education role, I wanted to find ways to apply my game design skills since uh, that was an area I felt passionate about. So I came up with a bunch of ideas for learning games and simulations, but I never stopped to ask, is this idea something that will actually move the needle on a goal my business currently cares about? And that's such an important question to resolve because to become a leader in your company, you have to be seen as someone who is focused on what matters to the business, whether that's increasing brand recognition, driving product adoption, uh, or identifying reference customers, whatever it is. You got to make your work about that. The second piece of advice I give to my past self is this. Don't hold on so tightly to your learning science background. <laughs> I sometimes get so caught up in the science of learning, uh, in applying the research, in ensuring uh, sound psychometrics for assessments, for example, that I'd overlook the core business need to ship products, uh, or I'd ignore that customers are busy people and don't necessarily have the time or interest to take an hour-long exam. So finding a balance between your learning science hat and your business acumen hat is is key, and sometimes it requires you to make trade-offs. Lastly, I would tell myself to get outside my comfort zone and network more. I'm an introvert, and I usually feel anxious at social events. And earlier in my career, I think this inhibited me from connecting with others in my network who could support me in developing my career. But part of leadership is confronting your fears and taking risks. And I discovered that the more I practiced networking and public speaking, the easier it became. So be patient because it's a skill you can develop like any other. So that's the advice I'd give my past self. Thanks for letting me share it. Wow. Nice one from Daniel. And it echoes actually in some ways, not just what Christy said earlier, but some of the things that, in, in fact, you and I have been sharing yeah, like in our that. in our past couple of lessons learned. Yeah. So th Daniel Quick, uh, in fact, if you want to hear a little bit of his evolution, he was on episode 37, which was on delightful learning and gamification. And then he rejoined us on, I, I don't have the episode number, but later to talk about the book he co-authored with Barry Kelly uh, on the customer education playbook. Mm -hmm. And I think you could probably hear the difference in his approach between even those two episodes. Yeah. It's a lot of learning going on there. It's, it's exceptional to be able to share that with a you know, group of people. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Vidiate. Vidiate automates the creation of software videos, making it super fast and easy to produce up-to-date content with every new release. From script to screen, with no in-between, you're able to skip all the manual labor of production by simply plugging in a script to the platform and then watching that video come to life in real time. Check it out today at video.io. So why don't we have one more example? Because we we shared uh -huh. two of ours. We did we did Optimizely and uh, Gainsight. Now we can have two two of our leaders. Sure. Uh, so we'll have uh, Alessandra Marinetti next. Awesome. And Alessandra joined us for episode eighty on tribal leadership. Uh, I'm sure she will be on the show again sometime soon because we have a lot of really good conversations about customer education leadership. But uh, let's hear what she has to say. All right. So advice to my past self on becoming a customer education leader. There's so much I would tell her. Um, probably the first one, the first advice that I would give myself is to be clear with the organization uh, that I'm part of as to uh, why uh, they want to um, build a customer education program. What is be very clear about the goals that um, they have in mind. Um, what is the impact that they would envision for customer education to have on the business? Um, they may actually not know exactly uh, what the what the goals are, and then I would tell myself to figure it out myself by listening to um, the sales organization, customer success, and really be, get curious about what their metrics are and what they're trying to accomplish and clearly align with their objectives. I think especially at the beginning of um, a customer education program, it is so important to uh, show value and really be perceived as value adding. Um, and that's why I think that aligning with uh, 
business goals and business metrics is absolutely crucial. Um, and along with that, um, clarify what can be measured and what you will measure as a customer education leader and what you cannot measure. There are times in which you may not have the tools to measure uh, all the, the, the things that you're doing. Like ideally you would like to measure adoption. Maybe you don't have the tools to measure adoption. So start with measuring um, attendance or consumption of, of content or um, start measuring customer uh, satisfaction. There are a few things that are fairly easy to, to measure. Um, also, I would say to her to set expectations as to what is meaningful to measure for education. For example, it may not really make a lot of sense to measure the direct impact that education has on sales, but rather measuring the impact that it has on adoption. Um, so just have conversations with uh, uh, the, uh, the, the leaders in your organization, really get clear on that and really be clear as to what is what are the um, shared objectives that you would like to, to achieve. Um, another thing that I would um, tell myself is to really get curious about other disciplines. I come from a, a learning and development background, an education background, and early on I was really, really focused on the, um, uh, the construction of robust learning experiences to ensure that customers can make the most out of the tool. And that's, of course, massively important. But I would also recommend early on to get curious about what marketing does and what um, uh, customer success managers do, what sales leaders do, what sales uh, uh, AEs and SDRs do. Because there's a lot that um, I could have learned very early on from uh, those disciplines and from those teams. Um, and really take a, a page out, the, out of their books. They know how to... Um, marketing, for example, knows how to uh, promote uh, programs, right? And it's crucially important to promote education. So I, I think I could have learned a lot more and faster had I gotten very, very curious early on. So super um, valuable to learn from, from others. And maybe the last um, thing that I would say that connects with this last point is to... Um, Look at who you bring into your organization. I would um, tell myself to be very open to uh, various levels of competencies and various types of competencies beyond people who bring the instructional design, learning and development, training, delivery expertise. Those are obviously really important. Uh, and depending on who, you know, what you need to do, you may want to bring somebody who has already, let's say, strong certification expertise or instructional design expertise. But I've also found over the years that hiring for potential and bringing in people who may um, have uh, started in uh, customer support or customer success management or marketing or um, or a nonprofit, um, you know, there there are lots of competencies that folks from other disciplines and from other domains bring to the table that uh, really enrich and diversify the pool of uh, people working on your team. So these are some of the things that um, come to mind that I would tell myself um, uh, today. Wow. Thanks, Alessandra. And uh, by the way, I don't think I mentioned this. Alessandra now leads customer education at Asana, although she's been on her own journey. Like she could be our our, our third parallel person because yeah. she was at LinkedIn when we first met her. And then uh, uh, I feel like I'm missing something because she was at AppDirect, but I, I think there's another one in there. Alessandra, sorry, I'm forgetting where you worked, um, but now is at Asana. And... I promise that we, we didn't listen to these in advance, so I didn't realize there would be such a tie between the two of these. But the one thing that I would pull out of both of these is this emphasis on being uh, business acumen focused, understanding what other parts of the business are trying to do and not over indexing on your area of expertise, which is going to be learning or instructional design. You don't get points for being the best at learning. You get points for working to further broader company goals by partnering with other teams who are also doing that. Yeah. And I also like 
we're backing up a little bit to what Daniel said, but now we're now we're seeing the same thing with Alessandra, that like you said, business, but also that reluctance, that concern, you know, learning other things, learning going outside your box, right? You're not just a learning and development person. You also need to learn marketing, and it, this, this is this is great stuff. Box. That's the one I was forgetting. She was at box. Box. How could we forget box? Oh my God. Just because I didn't prepare that before, uh, before we, we don't script this show. Okay. Don't go anywhere. There's one more for the room. Hey, everybody. My name is Jesse Evans, and I have been in this crazy business for about a decade now, uh, spending most of that time at Box and at Meta. And if I were going to go back in time and give past me some advice, uh, A, I would have a lot of advice to give. And B, the number one piece of advice that I would give is that uh, data is not optional. And I'm not talking about the data that uh, shows your enrollment numbers or your satisfaction rates with your courses. I mean, obviously, those are important numbers for us. I'm talking about data that actually lines up to business objectives. Um, and so, don't treat the data connection between your academy and your, your database, like your Hive, for example, as optional or as the next step or a thing for future you to worry about. Don't treat a connection with Salesforce as something that will happen one day when you are able to get around to it. Um, it needs to be now. When you're setting that, that academy up, you get the rest of the data infrastructure going as well. That's what's going to allow you ultimately to show that you've got some impact. Uh, and uh, if you were able to try to get some kind of like in-app uh, messaging tool like Pendo, um, or if you happen to have some in-app messaging tools that have been built natively for your product, leverage those. Uh, that's a great way for you to promote your stuff and then actually look at the impact those uh, had on those users down the line. Um, if you're not able to get any of these things, okay, second best option, go download a list of your learners, figure out which companies they're a part of, and then go back and figure out what percentage of your ARR is being touched by your program. Um, it can be a little bit of a pain. This could be a lot of work, but at the end of the day, it's going to mean a lot more when you say things like, our program has touched 85% of our ARR, than if you say, we've trained X number of people this year. All right, good luck. <laughs>